Welcome to the Mediate.com podcast with Veronica Kramer. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. This is Veronica, your host, and today I'm thrilled that we're here to talk about why cooperation is so difficult in mediation and how a process called co-resolution promises to do better. And I'm so thrilled that today's guest is my friend and my fellow law school classmate, Nathan Whitkin. By way of background, Nathan is an attorney, mediator, and former president of the Ohio Mediation Association and the creator of a variety of dispute resolution innovations. The new ADR processes he's proposed have appeared in ACR's Conflict Resolution Quarterly, the ABA's official law review on dispute resolution, Harvard's Negotiation Journal, and on his website, outsideinnovation.org, which is the website for his think tank startup by the same name. So, hey, with that, Nate, welcome to the Mediate.com podcast, and thanks for being here today. Veronica, thank you for having me. It's always good talking to you about mediation and co-resolution, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, great. And I'm I'm so thrilled that after all these years, we've been able to, to keep in touch here and there. And, you know, we both find ourselves doing things in the field of ADR. It's so awesome. Yeah, small world. I know, I know, right? Hey, so I am so excited to talk about co-resolution. And, you know, I just want to point out for our listeners. So it's not every day that you come across a colleague who has created their own dispute resolution process. So I think that is so cool that you've created co-resolution. And, you know, I want to point out this is not mediation, um, but I always think it's, you know, as mediators, it's so important to know what's going on in the field of dispute resolution. And I should add with co-resolution, I mean, this is something that you've been working on for some time. You've run a pilot project on it. You've published articles on it. The idea itself has been peer reviewed. So, I mean, this is, this is a very like serious concept that you've been working on for some time. So I'm so thrilled to have you here to talk about it. Yeah. All right. So let's get to it. So can you tell us what is co-resolution? All right. So co-resolution is a negotiation process that overcomes the prisoner's dilemma inherent in any negotiation. So the way it works is basically you have two cooperative negotiation coaches. They share an ongoing working relationship with each other, uh, but they help each one of them helps a different side in the dispute to negotiate cooperatively, but also persuasively. So it's different from mediation and co-mediation in that each disputant has a negotiation coach by their side through the entire process. And it's different from legal advocacy in that the coaches work together as a team, they focus on cooperation, and the, pro- and the process is a voluntary negotiation. So that's really interesting. So, you know, we talk about mediation as being a form of assisted negotiation, right? But it's a, it's a different type of assisted negotiation from what you're talking about. And so I understand you know, part of the co-resolution process, what's unique to it is, is the ongoing working relationship of the negotiation coaches, right? Yeah, that is the crucial engine behind the entire process. So uh, it, th- that negotiation or that ongoing working relationship between the coaches means that uh, the coaches act as 
uh, greater than the sum of their parts. It's not just having an extra facilitator like co-mediation. And what it does is it causes two things to be going through the coach's heads at any given point. And those are loyalty to the assigned disputant and cooperation across the table. The loyalty is motivated because this is a negotiation only process. So if one disputant doesn't feel supported by their coach and they feel ganged up on by both coaches and the, and the other side, they could terminate the entire process just by walking away, just by saying, I don't agree, you know, I, I don't want to agree with any of the outcomes being proposed here. And the second thing uh, is cooperation. And that's incentivized by the fact that both coaches expect to work together in the future. So it incentivizes uh, a cooperative, uh, a cooperative uh, approach to negotiation, and it's an incentive against combative, sneaky, or unfair bargaining tactics in any given negotiation. So that's really interesting. So I kind of wanted to just pull out something from there. I mean, it sounds like one of the big differences with co-resolution as opposed to mediation, you know, as a mediator, we think about being impartial, right? We can't, we can't be for or against either side. Um, but it sounds like with co-resolution, I mean, it sounds like each party's negotiation coach, I mean, you talk about that loyalty, it sounds like, I mean, they are very much aligned with their disputant, right? In terms of giving like communication, coaching tips, or helping their disputant frame um, information or settlement offers, right? Exactly, exactly. This process was motivated by my experience in mediation, uh, just feeling like I could tell the disputants how they could uh, address the other side better, how they could frame the things that they're asking for, how they can really sell their ideas to the other side. But as a mediator, you can't be going back and forth between each side saying, okay, now you say this, and then go to the other side and say, okay, now you're going to say this, because the disputants would uh, probably not accept that. And it, uh, it undergirds a lot of the power of the mediator, which comes from their impartiality. So this team of coaches, they come together in the process in the same way that a mediator would come to the process. Uh, but instead of sitting at the front of the table and being impartial, they're each going to separate, work with one side individually, and then they're going to rely on their ongoing relationship as the, the mechanism that makes sure that each side can trust that the other side is focusing on cooperative only negotiation tactics. Very cool, very cool. So it sounds like this really came about as a way to address, you know, a, a limitation of mediation. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of uh, leads to this kind of key claim that I have about co-resolution. Uh, and that is that co-resolution is the only negotiation process that reliably incentivizes mutual cooperation. Uh, and I use the, uh, the prisoner's dilemma and a bit of game theory to illustrate this point. And what these prisoner's dilemma models do is they, uh, they indicate or, or, and they demonstrate a reality about 
the dynamics between cooperation and competition. And this is a dynamic that every mediator and negotiator should understand uh, when going into a negotiation. Yeah, very cool. So tell us more. This sounds interesting. Right. So the, uh, the prisoner's dilemma is a model or simplification that shows the tension between cooperative tactics and competitive tactics. And it applies when neither side knows what the other side is willing to give up in a negotiation, which unless you can read minds is everybody in every negotiation. You always want to know what does the other side really want? What are they really willing to give up? And you are hesitant to reveal that information about yourself because you don't want to be taken advantage of. So though the model uh, separates out the four possible outcomes when two sides have the choice between either cooperating or competing. So the four outcomes are first, mutual cooperation, where both sides get a good outcome, a fair outcome. They don't get everything they want, but it's it's good. Uh, then the second outcome is mutual competition, where both sides, uh, they compete, they uh, try to undermine each other, and they either end up with no outcome, they, uh, you know, no agreement, or they just end up with a very uh, zero-sum, like, not very good outcome. And then the the other outcomes are one side competes and the other side cooperates. And this is the interesting part about the prisoner's dilemma because competitive tactics take advantage of cooperative tactics. And this should mirror reality pretty well to people who have experience in alternative dispute resolution because when both sides cooperate, they end up with a like a good outcome. Everyone feels good about um, good about the process. They feel good about the uh, what they get out of it. And mutual co uh, competition is both sides lying to each other, uh, really spending a lot of effort just trying to protect against the other side's deceptive practices. And then uh, when and then the being taken advantage of occurs when. One side decides that they're going to open up and describe what they're really interested in and the things that they're not as much interested in. And the other side can pretend to also be doing that, but they could be lying, inflating their uh, their demands, their stated demands, and coming away with a much better outcome. Uh, so the way I'd like to illustrate that in this in this uh, audio medium here is I'd like to play a game with you, Veronica, where what we're going to do is I'm going to count down three, two, one, and then we are each going to say cooperate or compete. Uh, okay. And this right. will, so this will kind of show how the prisoner's dilemma would typically work. So here we go. Okay. Three. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one, compete. compete. Ah, <laughs> so so we here we are <laughs> we both we both ended up yeah we protected against each other but the thing is like you and i are both adr trained uh professionals we really believe in the power of mutual cooperation and in the scenario that i just uh, had us play in that game we both competed so let me play podcast host for a second and ask okay, you what what were you thinking about the choice between cooperating and competing as we went into playing that game? 
Yeah. So honestly, I, you know, I was thinking that it was probably the safer option, right? So I wasn't sure if we were doing this game within the context of like a hypothetical co-resolution session where you have that, like those underpinnings of mutual cooperation. So I thought, well, if I'm just not sure, it seems safer to default to competing, right? Yeah. Yeah. That you don't risk getting taken advantage of. That was kind of, that was my thought. Yeah. And that's really what most disputants are thinking about. That's like the thing that they really carry and hold on to in any kind of negotiation process, whether that's mediation or legal negotiation, is you don't want to be taken advantage of. You don't want to find out months later that the other side was really after this other thing or that they were willing to give you this. That really stings when you feel like you've given you know, absolutely everything that uh, that you were willing to give in a negotiation. And the other side, they tricked you. That yeah. I mean, that's that's tough. And what the what game theory would say about this uh, really sheds a lot of light on how the prisoner's dilemma works. So game theory is basically making an optimal decision in light of what the other side's optimal decision is. So you you have to first consider what the other side's best choices, and then you make your best choice in light of that. And under game theory, this prisoner's dilemma is actually a bit of a misnomer. It should be the prisoner's tragedy because game theory shows it that it, it's not really a dilemma because there's one rational move for each player. So from my perspective, uh, if you were to compete, my best move is to compete. And here's the thing, if you were to cooperate, my best move is still to compete. So I know that whatever you do, I'm better off competing. And the thing that really solidifies the decision to compete is that I know you have the same incentives facing you. I know that you are better off competing no matter what I do. So then in any one shot, single iteration of the prisoner's dilemma, both sides are going to rationally compete against each other. And the tragedy of that is we could have had a mutually cooperative uh, outcome. We could have had a, a process where we both shared what we are really interested in, uh, traded uh, things that we were less interested in, and come away feeling much better. And it's, it's tragic that that is uh, the dynamic that makes negotiation so difficult for every ADR professional. That's interesting. So I guess, can you tell us, so how does co-resolution then beat this dynamic? Right. So the this prisoner's dilemma, that same game that we played one time, the way to beat that is if you and I were to play that game over and over and over again, repeatedly, uh, just into into the distant future, we're going to be playing that game. If the game was to repeat over and over again, then the best outcome for each of us is to mutually cooperate over and over and over again. It's better to get like a good outcome repeatedly than to get a great outcome sometimes and you know get taken advantage of other times. But the other thing is, uh, I know that if we're playing this game repeatedly, if I compete in any one game, 
you're going to compete against me in the next game. And then that's going to make me want to compete the game after that. And pretty soon we're both going to just be competing constantly. And it would be difficult to reintroduce the kind of trust to get to the point where we're both mutually cooperating. So in, in this kind of repeated game, both sides really want to hold on and protect this dynamic of mutual cooperation. And I propose that that's what goes on between the two coaches in co-resolution because uh, they have a business and that is to, to do this uh, co-resolution coaching. And they're going to be offering this together on an ongoing basis. They understand that if one side finds out that the other side lied about something uh, in a case that they had a month ago, they're not going to be able to trust them as fully. They're not going to be able to have this uh, mutually cooperative dynamic that is the basis of the, uh, the service that they offer. So both sides are going to really hold on to this cooperation. And, but that, of course, is going to be limited by the fact that it's a negotiation-only process, which means that uh, each side, each coach, has to really make sure that their own side feels supported and feels comfortable because any, you know, either side, either disputant, can terminate the entire process just by walking away. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, I was just thinking, and I'm curious, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I mean, when you were talking about basically when when players or disputants know they're going to be encountering each other round after round, then their best outcome really is to mutually cooperate. I mean, one area where I could really see this um, being effective is in the family mediation setting, right? Where the parties may be encountering each other time and time again to try to, you know, work through some sort of dispute on an issue. Um, and I believe your pilot project was tested in a domestic relations mediation program, right? I mean, are you yeah. are you able to just say a few words about about that pilot project? Sure. So, and to the dynamic you uh, just brought up here about the disputants in a family law context, we're having to interact with each other in the future. Uh, that is, you know, a huge, huge selling point behind co-resolution in the family law situation, because in a typical family law uh, negotiation that's assisted by professionals, you have disputants that are going to be entwined in each other's lives, you know, you know, if they, and especially if they have children, they're going to be like grandparents together. They've, you know, they are going to continue to be interacting. So it really makes sense to also have professionals, negotiation professionals helping them who also expect to be interacting in the future. Um, and then about the, the, the pilot project we did, it was in, the Franklin County domestic, uh, domestic Relations Mediation Program. And what we did is we had high conflict cases screened into co-resolution. And what we did basically is uh, instead of having one mediator approach two disputants and say, I'm gonna be your mediator today, here's what mediation is. Instead of doing that, we had uh, two coaches uh, approach the disputants and say, uh, we are co-resolvers and we're going to be applying co-resolution today and here's what co-resolution is. 
and what, and so I was one of the, the coaches in that. And what I found is that, first of all, disputants, they really want to have personal support in a negotiation. So, you know, as we were saying with the prisoner's dilemma, most people walk into negotiations pretty fearful of what could happen, unsure of the other side. So as soon as you come in and you say, I am your coach, I'm here to help you be as persuasive and uh, effective as possible in this negotiation, people do not question that. Uh, the disputants don't. They just say, okay, let's, you know, let's go on. Let's, uh, you know, let's have this, this process. And what we found through doing uh, surveys across uh, doing this process monthly for about two years is that disputants, uh, they really appreciated their own coach. They really liked their, their coach and they, they didn't rate the other coach as highly, but they still rated them pretty high. So they found the other coach, the other side's uh, coach to be fair or, you know, somewhat reasonable, which is really the opposite uh, experience people have with, for example, attorney negotiators or any kind of negotiators where uh, each side is going to pick their own separate negotiator because you, you know, you, and, and that creates an incentive for both, uh, both advocates, the people being picked by the separate disputants to be as tough as possible and to really appeal to only one side of the negotiation, which isn't a great, uh, isn't a great approach to negotiation where you need both sides to come together to reach any kind of outcome. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. That sounds like it was, it was very productive and it sounds like you got some really great feedback on that pilot project. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, Hey, I mean, this has been so fascinating to learn, fascinating to learn more about co-resolution. I mean, where can people find out more? So first you can uh, check out the uh, page on my website about co-resolution. So that is outsideinnovation.org forward slash co-resolution. And it's uh, spelled C-O dash resolution. And also you can just Google search Nathan Witkin and uh, co-resolution. Like I said, the, uh, or like you were saying, the articles about co-resolution have been uh, published in uh, Conflict Resolution Quarterly, uh, the, Ohio, the Ohio State Journal on Dispute Resolution. Uh, so the theory behind this has been has been presented and, you know, experts have found it to be promising. And now we're kind of in this phase where we are just trying to get people to, you know, take the leap and try it out. And the good news is you, you basically need all of the training of a, of a mediator to be able to do this process. If you, uh, you know, if you're familiar with how to uh, apply cooperative negotiation dynamics as as uh, any given mediator would, then if you have a, uh, a partner that you are going to work with in the future and that you can trust, you could offer co-resolution and then basically you're doing conflict coaching in tandem with each other. And you know after after describing what co-resolution is at the front of the table, then both coaches move next to their, uh, disputants, and then you just conduct the process like a typical mediation with the coaches asking questions across the table 
uh, asking maybe supportive questions of their own respective disputant. And uh, during caucuses, each coach sits with or go goes with their own disputant so that both sides, both disputants have a, a person with them during the entire process. So that is, that's co-resolution in a nutshell. And it's, uh, and I hope if your listeners get anything out of this that would be just important in their uh, mediation practice, it's that idea that uh, game theory uh, pretty uh, robustly shows that in a situation where you can take advantage of the other side by competing, that is uh, competition is the incentivizer. It's the only rational outcome there. And in, or, and in order to beat that, you have to have this ongoing relationship across the table to be able to incentivize cooperation and trust. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely food for thought just right there. And just sort of as you were sharing more information about co-resolution, I mean, I was already starting to brainstorm like a potential topic for a follow-up episode, Nate. I mean, I could definitely, we should definitely have you back just to talk about, you know, how you can integrate co-resolution just into a mediation practice. I mean, that could be an episode in and of itself. Yeah, I think that co-resolution uh, ideally is something that could be offered alongside mediation and litigation so that disputants have a, you know, a variety and a robust choice of types of processes because, you know, some, some disputes can be resolved with one mediator pretty easily and a second professional would be overkill, but there are some high conflict mediations where, you know, from the outset, you can tell that both sides really need personal attention and having coaches that are designed to be cooperative could be the, the thing that really helps them be able to cooperate effectively. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, hey Nate, I mean, this has been so much fun. You know, you and I over the years, we've crossed paths, you know, so many different times and it's, it's always great fun every time that we do. So I really yeah. appreciate you coming on the mediate.com podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, yeah, we will talk later. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right, friends. Well, that wraps up another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.mediate.com.